We are going to read from the book of 2 Samuel this morning, but I got to do a little bit of coaching because there's a really weird name in here. So you're going to see Aruna. Will you guys say that with me? Aruna. You got it? Okay, we're going to try this out. Ready? Let's read together. But the king said to Aruna, No, I've got to buy it from you for a good price. I'm not going to offer God, my God, sacrifices that are no sacrifice. So David bought the threshing floor and the ox, paying out 50 shekels of silver. He built an altar to God there and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. God was moved by the prayers, and that was the end of the disaster. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hi, my name's Carolyn Smith, and I've been a member of Acts 2 since the beginning. It was about 19 years ago, I was reading the newspaper, and I saw something interesting. It was about a new United Methodist Church, so I thought I might check it out. My curiosity got the better of me, so I went to the first service, and I'm very glad I did. After that first service, I kind of wanted to plug myself in, so I started helping and and, uh, working with people at the church and doing some of the chores and things that you have to do. And it's like I was growing along with the church. So as it grew, I grew. And that's mainly why I've stayed um, with the church, because it's just given me so much and, and I've grown tremendously in my faith walk. My hopes for the future for this church is that we serve our community and bring in more people, which I think we can do uh, as we look towards building this uh, new building for the kids. I think we're going to attract a lot of uh, new families and heaven knows we need more Christians in this land and we need more people that follow God here. And the way to do it is to start with our children and bring them up and give them a a good background. So we are now in the third week of our sermon series for the kids as we continue to pray and seek what God is asking us to do here in this place. And it seems fitting that as we celebrate Mother's Day this weekend that the topic of conversation is sacrifice. Um... And what you didn't hear in Carolyn's video, but what she has shared on multiple occasions, is that after Carolyn um, originally uh, joined Acts 2 19 years ago and started tithing for the very first time in her life, she actually lost her job. And she continued to faithfully give to the church her tithe and continued to sacrifice. And what a sacrifice it must have been for her in that season so that we could be sitting in this sanctuary today that it was because of her gifts and her time and her sacrifice that we're able to be here today. So um, she also continues to sacrifice because she is our lay leader and she trains up our our other people, our tall people, but also our little people. This is my daughter, Anna, and uh, Carolyn has helped teach her how to greet and be a warm and welcoming presence on Sunday mornings for all of our guests. And so she continues um, to be that presence for us to continue to sacrifice her time. And sacrifice is something that parents know very well and mothers know even more intimately. Uh, We grow children in our womb and in our hearts, and they are deep, deep connections that are hard to even put into words sometimes. And there are all kinds of mothers in the world making all kinds of different sacrifices. 
There are stay-at-home moms, working moms, birth moms, adoptive moms, foster moms. There are helicopter moms and free-range moms, and that was a new one on me, but they exist. There are free-range moms in this world. And there are moms who have struggled, and they have prayed to have children of their own, and they have just wanted that so much, and they've never had the opportunity to hold their own child in their arms. But they've all made sacrifices. They're all mothers at heart. They've all made sacrifices. They've sacrificed their body and their self-image, their time and their attention, their careers and their sanity and their finances and their energy and their sleep and their comfort. And they've all sacrificed something of value for something of much greater value, a child. And that's what we've been learning about over the past several weeks is how to sacrifice something of value to give of something greater value. So my mom was no different. This is my mom, Kathy. She was here with our kiddos last week while we were at conference. That's my son, Elijah. And when my parents had me, my mom was 30 years old, and she was beautiful. She's still beautiful. And they were living in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. And my dad was... um, He owned his own flooring company, and my mom got her pilot's license, and she was flying helicopters and selling helicopter tours on the cruise ship. She had a really cool job. They had an awesome life down there. They worked hard, and they played hard, and they sailed from island to island every weekend after a long week of work, Um, and they met fascinating people, Um, just really, really cool things. But when they decided to have me, they had some serious conversations about what that was going to look like, and they decided, my mom decided, that she was going to be a stay-at-home mom that she was going to raise our family um, from home. And that was the choice that she made. That was the sacrifice that she made so we could have the life that we had. And I'm so grateful for it. And not only did she make that sacrifice, but then she sacrificed the crystal blue waters of the Virgin Islands to move back home to landlocked Oklahoma um, so they could be close to family and raise their children around family. And I am not bitter at all, not one bit I haven't been back. (laughs) Um, But my mom was this kind of sahem, S-A-H-M. That's the cool word now for stay-at-home mom. She could pull off the leotard and the cape. That was just how awesome she was and is. Um, She sacrificed her fashion sense. Um, Maybe you have an Easter picture like this one, me and my sister there. Um, And there were some Easter's when we'd all grown out of our clothes and the toes of our shoes were worn off, and she gave up that interesting Easter dress so that we could have new Easter clothing to wear to church on Sunday morning. Maybe you've made sacrifices like that for your children. She also um, volunteered as a volunteer children and youth director for more than 20 years. More than 20 years of her time in her life went to helping children and my siblings meet Jesus and know Jesus personally. And for that, I am eternally grateful, and so many other children are grateful. These are the frogs fully rely on God from uh, Coweta First United Methodist Church. And she's going to be here this weekend, and I think if you asked her, I asked her last night, so I confirmed this with her, that... If you asked her if that was sacrifice, if that was, you know, a big deal for her, she would say no, that it wasn't. It wasn't a hard choice for her. It was actually a joy for her. But I tell you that it was a sacrifice. It was a choice that she made that um, completely changed the way our family functioned. And the gift was good. The sacrifice was valuable. I mean, look at us. We turned out pretty good because of that sahem. Um... 
what you don't see is how tired I am in this picture. Maybe you do. Maybe you see the dark circles. Um, Anna got a tie-dye set for Christmas, the weekend before Christmas, and she desperately wanted to make tie-dye shirts for the entire family that was staying at her house on Christmas Eve. And so the day before Christmas Eve, she started the project, and she's four, and four-year-olds can't do tie-dye projects. So after she went to bed, I made tie-dye shirts for the entire family so that we could have this awesome, cute picture. And that's what sacrifice is. Those are the things that we do for our littles as moms, and do it with joy. So we're going to jump back for just a minute. I promise we'll get back to this topic of sacrifice, but we're going to get back to 2 Samuel for a minute. Um, So in the scripture we just read, God has become angry with Israel, and he has sent down a plague on them. And after the plague has already claimed the lives of 70,000 people, the Lord is grieved, and David finally decides to confess his sins to the Lord. And it is just as the angel of the Lord is coming to the threshing floor, just before he's about to wipe out the city of Jerusalem, that David decides to do this, just in the nick of time. And it's here that Arunah offers his services to King David. He offers David not only a place to uh, build the altar for free, but also the burnt offerings that David needed to make to the Lord so that he would save the city of Jerusalem, free of cost. God gets what he wants. David doesn't have to do much. No skin off his back. How easy would that have been for David to accept? It would be a pretty good thing. Just give, it what, give him what he wants. Give what Arana was willing to give. And then you go on and the disaster is averted. But David does something interesting. David says this. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice something to God that I have not sacrificed already for myself. And maybe you've heard this before in the workplace or at school, that your teachers or your colleagues or your upline are not going to ask you to do something that they wouldn't have done themselves. Hopefully you've heard that. That's what sacrifice is. But why? Why do we make these sacrifices? Why are they integral to our relationship with God and our relationship with others? Lisa Turkhurst says, um, she's a Christian author, and she says that there are three phases in our relationship with God as we get to know him and get to see what he has for us. And the first phase is, I need you, God. I need you. It's transactional. It's, I'll give this up, I'll sacrifice this, but you've got to do this for me. You've got to hold up your end of the bargain. And this is where David is. David needs God, and as the angel of the Lord is at the threshing floor preparing to devastate the city of Jerusalem, the plague and the anger of God is continuing, and David says, God, I'll build the altar, and I'll give you the sacrifices. I'll even pay for it myself. I won't accept Arunah's gift. But you've got to hold up your end of the deal, and you've got to end the plague. It's a transactional sacrifice. The second phase, then, is I trust you, God. I trust you. And I can't think of a better story from Scripture to illustrate this trust in God than that of the widow's mite. And I'm wearing mine today, so if you want to see it up close, I'll show you after service. But this is what the widow's mite looked like in ancient days. And uh, we... um, Read in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44, this story. Jesus tells it like this. Jesus sat down opposite 
Whoops, thank you. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Hear that again. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others because they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So don't mishear the story. It's not about the amount of the gift. It's not about the number. Can God do things with small gifts? Absolutely. And can God grow mammoth trees from a mustard seed? Absolutely. But it was not the amount the widow gave that Jesus praised. It was the sacrifice. And Pastor Mark said something interesting this week while we were in staff meeting. He said, it's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. The widow's sacrifice was not transactional like David's had been. Instead, it was an act of trust because once she gave that fraction of a penny, it was a fraction of a penny. It wasn't even a full cent. She didn't know what she would live on the next day. And it was only by the grace of God that she would know where her next meal was coming from and live. And that's trust. That's faith. That's wholehearted sacrifice. And those others in the treasury that day were just playing at it. They were just playing at it. They gave out of their surplus, and they never even gave it a second thought. There was no prayerful consideration before they gave. There was no heart-to-heart conversation with God about what God might be able to do with the gift they were getting ready to sacrifice. And there was no trust because they didn't have to. They had enough all on their own. They didn't need God's help. They still had plenty, even after those larger, heavier, shinier coins dropped into the treasury that day. But to trust God in the sacrifice is to know God more fully. And the widow knew God more fully. The third phase, then, is I want you, God. I want you. I desire you. I want what you want. And this phase takes us to the Garden of Gethsemane. On the last night of Christ's life, it's there in the garden, knowing that Judas had already gone to betray him and that his disciples were asleep in the garden because they couldn't even stay awake while Jesus was in anguish and in grief over the decision he was about to make, overwhelmed by sorrow to the point of death, Scripture says. And he cries out to God saying this, Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup. Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but what you will. And Jesus is in the garden at the Mount of Olives overlooking the Kidron Valley, directly down upon the Temple Mount. You can see it here. This is actually from from the Garden of Gethsemane looking over the Kidron Valley. There's the Dome of the Rock, the Gold Dome, where the Temple Mount would have been. And he's looking out over this. And right behind him over the ridge is the Judean desert. And if you look back in 2 Samuel, where we were a little bit ago, 
There's a story in chapter 15, where bef- right before where we read, where David is actually fleeing from his son Absalom, who has plotted against him and seeks the throne for himself. And it's to the same garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, that David sets out with his entire household to escape his son Absalom. To the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, the door to the escape route is what Lisa calls it. Over the ridge and into the Judean desert, just behind him to safety. Can you imagine the temptation that Christ must have experienced in the garden that night? Lying face down on the ground, sweat falling from his brow like drops of blood with the door to the escape route just behind him over the ridge. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And just when you expect the transaction to take place, just when you expect him to start bartering with God and saying, God, I'll do this if you just let me live. If I can just continue doing the ministry we've been doing here, then I'll do this for you. He does something completely different, something extraordinary. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I want, but what you want. I want you. I desire you. Not my will, but yours be done. Glory to God. And if you read back in Psalm 51, it says this. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, that transactional sacrifice, or I would bring it. I would. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. The commentators of the New Interpreter Study Bible say this about that passage. They say sacrifices embody the commitment of the self and the life of individuals and groups to God. The prophets continually taught that with the sacrifice, the worshiper commits his or her way to God's way. Not to his or her way, to God's way. So when we get to this phase, this third phase, this I want you God phase, this place where our desires are one with God's desires, it is absolutely transformational. It changes the meaning of sacrifice and brings us closer to God. It is transformational. The word Gethsemane literally means olive press in the Greek and the Aramaic. And the Garden of Gethsemane was and is a beautiful olive tree grove. This is an olive tree there in the garden. And when olives are harvested, though I find them absolutely delicious, Andy does not agree with me on that point at all, they are most fruitful and most useful when they are pressed and crushed beyond recognition in order to create something completely different, to transform into something completely different, into olive oil. It's transformational. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, where it says here in Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Like David, Christ would not give a gift that cost him nothing. 
He came as a living sacrifice, God with skin on to show us how to live, to model life that's really life. He made the ultimate sacrifice that we might have life and have it abundantly, that the world might be transformed by his love and mercy once and for all. And when we talk about sacrifice, this is the goal, that when we would be willing to sacrifice something of value for something of greater value, just as Christ gave his life so that we might have life all the way into eternity, forever. But why? Why sacrifice? Because it transforms us more into the image of God, and it's for the transformation of the world, all of it. The whole thing. And here's the deal. We're not asking anyone to do something we haven't done ourselves. Just like Christ didn't ask us to do anything he hadn't done himself. He just happened to die for us. So the commitment level was like way up here. But in just a few minutes, Mark is going to come up. And he's going to share with you what the staff and the leadership of our church family have been praying and considering together with their families that they would commit for the kids over the next 36 months. And they aren't asking you to do anything that they haven't already done themselves at home with their families. Andy and I aren't asking you to do anything we haven't already done at home with our families, and neither are Mark and Chantel. We've spent months praying and asking God what he would have us do discerning what it is. And remember, the gifts won't be equal. But we hope and we pray that the sacrifices will be. And so we're asking you, and these are your action steps this week, to first pray. Once again, take time this week in prayer to ask God what it is he wants done in his kingdom. And then wait and listen to what he has to tell you. Pray that you would begin to desire what God desires and to want what God wants in this place and around the world. And secondly, to consider. Once you're in that place where you know what God desires and your desires are beginning to sync up with God's desires, consider the sacrifices you can make to actually act on and sacrifice what God wants. What God wants done to step out in faith like the widow with her fraction of a penny and say, I know this makes your heart happy, God, and I'm going to trust you because I know you care for me, and I know you can do something great and bigger than I could ever do with it on my own. And hear this. There is no gift, no sacrifice too small for God. I was talking to Jeff Hedrick this week, our business administrator, and he reminds me of this all the time. But this week he said again, the this cost of the screws that hold the roof on, the new building that we're going to build just out here, they don't cost a whole lot. It's minimal. But if somebody doesn't make that gift, if somebody doesn't pay for the screws for the new building, then the new building does not have a sturdy roof, and there's no ministry happening in there. So there is no gift too small for God. Every gift, every sacrifice is honored by God, but it requires wholehearted sacrifice. Sacrifice in the Latin is sacrificium, holy sacrificial. Brene Brown says this. She says, in its original form, sacrifice means to make holy. I wholeheartedly believe that when we are fully engaged, regardless of how imperfect, vulnerable, and messy it is, we are creating something sacred 
We are creating something sacred, something wholly sacrificial. And so we ask you to consider what you will do to help us create something sacred to the glory of God for the transformation of young lives. And thirdly, we're going to ask you to commit. And we don't ask, make big asks like this a lot from up here. And I certainly don't get the opportunity and the privilege of doing it. And I know if you're a guest with us this morning, this is the awkward part of the conversation. And just know that you are welcome and we are not expecting you to give anything to a building that we're building just south of the sanctuary. That we're happy you're here. And maybe there's another part of your life that you need to commit, but it may not be this. But if it is, if you are a member of our Acts 2 family, once you've done that prayerful consideration piece, we invite you to make a commitment. Next weekend, May 18th and 20th, we're going to bring together our, our commitments as a family, as a church family, and share what God is doing, what God has called us to do in this place. And we truly believe that if you wholeheartedly pray and listen and sync up with what God wants done, that the gifts we bring together will honor God and help bring his kingdom here on earth, even to this 35-acre corner of land in West Edmond, where non-religious and non-active Christians become radical Christ followers all the time. That that's what we're called to commit to. And this is what happens when we do. My name is Joel Jackson. This is my wife, Allie. We've got Maddie, Isla, and Neil. We came to One Church because we had been going to Acts 2, uh, kind of visiting for about a year. And when I heard about the opportunity to get involved in a, something new, it, it was something I was really looking for. And One Church really fit the bill for everything for both of us. There's a lot of people in our demographic. You know, there's a lot of family with kids our age who are kind of looking for the same thing. So it was very easy to get to know people. And as you do, you start to build relationships. They were baptized, the girls were baptized on Mother's Day last year. And it was something, honestly, that was their idea. They had enjoyed going to church and they were starting to ask questions. And I think Isla's actually the one that brought it up and asked to be baptized. Or asked what it was. They've been asking about it for a long time. One Church is also one of the most welcoming church environments I've ever been in. And I think that's what made us both feel comfortable. And that's my hope for One Church is that it carries on kind of the legacy of just being the welcoming kindness church. You know, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. So this is the girls' Christian birthday. A year ago, this weekend, Mother's Day weekend, we were over in the school, in the cafeteria, and they wanted to be immersed, and so they put on their bathing suits, and we had the tank sitting on the sidewalk outside the school because we couldn't take the tank inside the school because of all the water, you know. And they dove into the immersion tank and were baptized, and they were so full of joy and excitement that day, and we got to sing happy birthday to them and celebrate with them, and we got to celebrate with them again on Friday night when they were at worship and wish them a happy birthday and the decision that they made to follow Jesus in a place, one church, where we are a new community for new people seeking to change the world with the love of God. And just like their mom, Allie, said, you are welcome here. We are so glad you are here. And the kingdom will come through you if you let God speak into your life and guide you in the desires of God's heart.